This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I want to read for us tonight out of Nehemiah. And uh, last year was an interesting year in the history of Shofar. We, uh, we made some changes, we experienced some, some change. And uh, at the beginning of last year, um, the Lord started to speak to me out of Nehemiah. And he, he began to speak to me about how if we want to engage with God, if we want to engage with His strategy, if we want to get a vision from the Lord, if we want to acquire the necessary resources that we need to fulfill His calling upon our lives, sometimes one of the biggest mistakes we make is to go and to try and figure out the vision is to go and try and figure out the strategy, to try and canvas for the resources. But Nehemiah actually started somewhere else. Nehemiah started by allowing the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. Now, in those days, the people of Israel, they were being held captive by the Babylonians and the Persians. And, and Israel was in captivity, and they were led into captivity because of their disobedience. And Nehemiah arrives on the scene as a very privileged man. He was the king's cupbearer. He was the king's right-hand man, so to speak. It wasn't just the guy who was pouring wine into the king's cup. He was in charge of overseeing the vineyards. He had to make sure the right people were um, appointed and employed to test the wine, to make sure the quality of the wine is good. And he had to make sure that... I was just completely thrown off by this card, this time card, just coming up like out of the blue, like... I almost rebuked that thing. <laughs> but you're right, brother. You are from the Lord. You need to be here. All right? You need to be here. <laughs> the vineyards. You know, we see the vineyards and the quality of the wine. And the crazy thing is, as a cup bearer, he also had to be happy in the king's presence. All right? If you were in the king's presence and you were serving the king and you looked sad, it reflected badly on the king. Right, so if you arrive at work with a sad face, last day at work, all right, last day of your life as well. And so Nehemiah is in the palace, he's having a great life, he's got great influence as a slave, but still wonderful influence. And then he gets news back from Jerusalem from his brothers that come to visit him and they tell him the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Wild animals are running into the city. Thieves and robbers are doing what they want to do. And then Nehemiah does something so profound. And, and I want to encourage us this evening that, that as a, a, a church family, that we would continue to allow the Lord to keep our hearts soft. You know, when we're in the presence of God and when God speaks to us and when we during times of worship, a lot of that has to do with God coming to just soften our hearts. To soften our hearts to His voice, to soften our hearts to one another. Because when we are outside in the world, we often don't have time to be vulnerable. We often don't have time to allow the impact of what we are experiencing to really hit us. And Nehemiah allowed the impact of what was happening in Jerusalem to hit his heart. And the Bible says that he... He, he went into a time of fasting and prayer and mourning. And I still called my, my sermon or the, uh, um, the series of talks that we did back then a beautiful morning. Speaking about the fact that God wants us to understand that as a church family and as individuals, we've been going through some tough times. And we had some challenges and we need to acknowledge where the hurt was. We need to acknowledge where we were injured. We need to acknowledge where we were disappointed. 
where we disappointed others and where others disappointed us. And we had to deal with that hurt. We had to not rush past it, not just sing hallelujah songs, not just shout shandai, shandai, but actually engage with one another in truth. Because it is only when we are truthful that the love of God can flow into our lives and the healing can flow into our lives and the forgiveness can flow into our lives as well. But I believe that we have moved through 2017. The Lord has really carried us and we had wonderful moments um, climaxing at convergence where, where the Lord came to speak to us again about the power of forgiveness, if you guys can still remember. The power of forgiveness and reconciliation. And we've been working through those things and we are still in the process in some of our relationships of establishing true authentic relationship. But I believe that the Lord has transitioned us and we're standing on the verge of once again being able to have some very real conversations with God about the real need out there. Because God doesn't want us just to continue looking at ourselves and licking our wounds. He also wants us to understand that very often a great deal of our healing comes as we go. As we heard tonight, a great deal of our healing comes as we serve. A great deal of our healing comes as we trust God for somebody else's healing. And so Nehemiah is in a place where he's gone back to Jerusalem. He's got a lot of resources that was given to him. But the resources were released over his life because he allowed God's heart to become his heart. He allowed how God was feeling about Jerusalem and Jerusalem's walls to become his heart as well. And so he mourned and he fasted and the Lord gave him strategy out of that. And I want to encourage many of you guys, and while you are here as students, the Lord is beginning to speak to you about your future. He's beginning to speak to you about the kind of company you need to build up. He's beginning to speak to you about the kind of man and the kind of woman that you need to be. But I want to encourage you that at all times you will make God's heart the preeminent pursuit of your life. Don't get lost too much in the technicalities of where you will be three years from now and what you will be doing ten years from now and who you will be married to in two months' time. All right, don't spend, don't spend too much time on those technicalities. If we pursue the heart of God, if we pursue the heart of God and the priorities of God, as Matthew says, in other words, if we seek the kingdom, then all these other things will be added to us. But the kingdom isn't some airy-fairy thing out there. The kingdom is a practical, powerful, very real-time manifestation of God's heart. That is what the kingdom is. The kingdom is God's heart expressed through very real people. And so Nehemiah comes and out of that place of humility before God and, and his heart being broken by God, he comes and he gets what he needs. He gets the resources, he mobilizes the people, and they start building the wall. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah 4, where in spite of a lot of opposition, they've been building this wall. But as soon as they start building, St. Balak the, uh, uh, um, and this other guy, Tobias, come and they come and they bring a lot of accusations against Nehemiah. Say, Nehemiah, what do you guys think you're doing? At one stage, they say that if a fox were to jump up against this wall, this wall will fall down. And often when we start building things and we start believing God and we start saying, look, I'm going to be a man of integrity. I'm going to be someone that finishes what God gives me. I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm going to love people around me. I'm going to walk in humility. Very often, we come from such a backlog in our family histories and what we see around us that we can feel that what I'm doing is not significant. I mean, how significant can packing the chairs be? It's just moving a couple of plastic things around. But the reality is, the flip side of what Johan said, is that there are very real people that got saved because they were chairs that were packed up for them. Very real people that had encounters with God because they had a place to sit. And so the thing that we do, however insignificant it is, 
It's not what we do that determines the significance. It's who we do it for. And if we pack chairs for the king, if we sweep floors for the king, if we just smile at the door for the king, that makes it worth it. I remember starting off also at the door many years ago. And I said, God, if I'm going to be a doorkeeper, I want to be the best doorkeeper Shofar's ever seen. I want to have, I want to be that I'm going to do with excellence. I'm going to smile. I'm going to greet people. I'm going to remember their names. And praise God, I, I threw everything into it. And I thank God for those, those times because very often I didn't feel like doing it. You know, I know this is a shock to some of you guys, but sometimes even as pastors, we still feel like, hey, shucks, man. Do I really need to do this? Can I, can I really get myself up there? And then it's useful to go back to other times in your life where you didn't feel like it, and yet God came through for you. You stood there, and you, were, you had your own issues to work out. I remember one stage, the, the lady that I thought was going to be my wife, she died in a motorcycle accident, and I had to be at the door. And I had to be there, and I had to greet people, and I had to love people as they were coming in. And God ministered so much to me because he knew the last thing that I needed was to be sitting alone in my room and feeling sorry for myself. I needed to be there. And as I'm standing at the door, I'm smiling, I'm hugging people, I'm being hugged. I'm being loved. I'm feeling cleansed as I was giving. And so we, we see that Nehemiah comes in. He moves out of a place of having been connected to God's heart and he's rebuilding slowly but surely. And the wall, the Bible says, is about halfway up. And there's a lot of opposition against them. And people are feeling intimidated and people are feeling, oh, we're not making a difference. You know, what is one child? If I just take one child into my house, you know there's still almost four million others out there. And look how full our prisons are. Look at, you know, the devastation in our nation. What difference is one person going to make? You know, and then Nehemiah had to come to them and he, and he does a couple of things that I want to encourage us just to take note of. Nehemiah 4 verse 13. It says, therefore, I being Nehemiah positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. Remember, the wall was only up halfway. And so he positions them behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. In other words, where the gaps were. So there were still some gaps, even though they were busy building and even though they had made great progress. And this is what we realize in our Christian walk. God has called us to build some walls in our lives. He has called to build up walls of integrity. He's called up to build up walls of honesty. He's called up to build up walls of justice and mercy. But in all of our lives, you will never be in a place where your wall is completely complete. There will always be time for building. There will always be time where there are the gaps that need to be strengthened and things that need to be closed up. And so Nehemiah comes and he he does something. He says he positions men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings where these gaps were. And I want you to think about gaps in your life. I, I want you to think about openings in your life. I want you to think about in a different way. I want you to think about areas of vulnerability in your life. Where are your soft spots? Where are your Achilles heels, spiritually speaking? If you look back at your life, you will normally recognize that there are certain patterns in your life. That the devil uses one or two things consistently to trip you up. One or two things that he uses to get you to lose your temper. One or two things that he uses to get you so depressed that you have to start overeating or not eating at all. There are a couple of things that he keeps on using to get to you. Those are vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And it's important for us to understand that we can do something about those weaknesses. We don't have to go through life being vulnerable to the devil all the time, being a sitting duck. And and this means you, you actually have to think about your life. 
You actually need to think about why do I keep on falling for this specific thing? Why do I keep on falling for chocolate cake four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon? Why is this such an issue for me? Why do I always feel guilty afterwards? You know, put your own temptation in there. Why am I always over December holidays when I go back home? Why do I always lose the battle against my temple or against lust, whatever the case might be? Think about it. Don't just go back there every time and get knocked silly every time. Think about why are the gaps in your life? Why are they there? And that's often why we need family around us. Because often we don't even know the gaps are there. And someone needs to tell you, look man, when you, when you start focusing uh, on your studies, you know, you just, you isolate yourself, you don't come to church, we don't see you for a month or two, and then you go from that place, you go into your holiday, and then you come back knocked silly, and then you, you wonder why. Sometimes you need your friends just to hold you accountable to those kinds of things. So if you don't know what your gaps are and what your areas of vulnerabilities are, ask your friends. Okay, and that's why being married is such a great blessing. And um, especially those of us married to strong, focused women, they don't have a problem with being prophetesses in our lives. They see us, they, they just feel a call from God to, to show us these things, and um, we thank the Lord for them. You know, you, you know, very often we're drawn to these strong women. Oh, they, they're beautiful, they're intelligent, they know exactly what they, they want from life, and I'm sure they'll be completely submissive all the time as well. And, um, and then you realize, ah, oh, yes, yes, it's a process. All right, and so he positions them according to their families. Again, here's the beautiful thing that he does. He doesn't just put random guys there in front of the openings. He positions them according to their families. God has never called us to fight in isolation. He hasn't called us to be the lonesome Rambo. He hasn't called us to be the lonesome Lone Ranger. And, and by the way, it seems like the world is sort of caught up with that. Eh? The Lone Rangers and the Rambo movies and the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, they're not there anymore. Where, you know, when I, in the 80s, I used to watch these movies of these, these guys. He's the only guy going in there and he breaks everything up and he rescues everyone. Now you've got like the League of Nations. What do you, well, no, not the League of Nations. What do you call What? Justice League, Justice League, yes. Justice League and, and you know, the Avengers. Even, even the superhero guys, the guys who make these movies, they understand we're actually stronger together. And I think they're only now beginning to realize something scripture has been saying all along. But sometimes spiritually in, in, in church, we still want to continue as if, you know, if I just have the anointing on my life, if I just have God's word, I can make this. And God has always been one for families. And so when, when they have to build the wall, when they have to fight, Nehemiah puts them there within their families. All right, he puts them there in their physical families. He puts them in there to fight for their families. With their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, hopefully none of you guys are carrying those stuff secretly into this church service. We know that God has called us still to fight the battle today. But our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They are spiritual weapons God has given us. Our gifts, our talents, our, the words of knowledge, the words of, of wisdom, the gifts of healing and of hospitality, and all of those things, the gifts God has given us, they are weapons of warfare that we need to use to advance God's kingdom. Okay, and, and God wants us to polish those weapons. He wants us to use those weapons, but He wants us to use them together, not in isolation. And so the, the story goes on, and it says, And Nehemiah looked, and, he, which is, and, and I looked, and arose, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of the voices. 
Because something crazy happened. As soon as Nehemiah arrived in Judah to start rebuilding, there was immediate opposition. As soon as you start saying yes to God, God yes God, your the testimony grabbed hold of my heart. I'm going to start serving. Immediately there will be all sorts of reasons why you should not be serving. There will be all sorts of things that your flesh will come up with and that you'll get all sorts of invitations to go to different places, to go and watch T20 cricket games or to maybe go hiking and, and it will incidentally fall upon the weekend that you said you were going to come and pack the chairs. There will be opposition. And then it's not just about having to make a choice between a hike and coming to pack chairs at, at, at the church service. It's about whether you are going to go through on the commitment that you have made. And position yourself so you can sharpen what God has given you. And so he says, he arose and he says to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Right? Do not be afraid of their voices. Do not be afraid of your own voice that says like you, you're on the rubbish um, heap, God can't use you, or you, you, you're over the hill, you're too old, or you've messed up too much, or you're too young, or, or you, you're too broken inside. Don't listen to those voices. Remember the Lord, says, remember God, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. It says, so he says, before you go out to fight, before you, you, you start interceding for the mission team, or before you go on the mission team, before you start serving in Clutusville, before you start serving in the homeless shelter, before you do those things, remember the Lord. Remember that you're not just going in there to try and do something, try and make a difference. You're going in there because the price has been paid. You're going in there because you've got the spirit of the overcomer inside of you. You're going in there because God has got a destiny for you and he has prepared you before the foundation of the world was established to walk in that destiny. Remember the Lord. Remember that you've got breath inside of your lungs because God has got better plans for you. Remember that your past will not be your future. Remember that greater is he who is inside of you than he who is in the world. Remember that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Remember. Remember that you need to stir up your, 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 your most holy faith by praying in the spirit. Remember. There's some of you guys here and you've forgotten words that God has given you. You have forgotten moments of faithfulness of God coming through for you. And tonight the Lord is saying to you, go back and remember. 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 Why? So you can feed yourself. And so we don't go into any environment trying to make a change because we can't change anyone. The walls that we build will be inconsequential and the big bad wolf of circumstances will come and blow it down. Everything we build in the flesh will amount to nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't have time to build in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to waste my time building things in the flesh. I need God's grace. I need God's power. I need Him inside of me like I need breath in my lungs. I cannot do what God has called me to do. There's no way Heinrich can do this. Absolutely no way. I can't even be the husband to my wife without God's presence and God's strength. I can't be a good dad to my girls without God coming and God doing something inside of me. Left to myself, I would be selfish, an introvert that would just read books the whole day and watch movies. Unless God comes and changes me and transforms me over and over again. I need Him. And I, and I, and I sometimes think that, that God asks me to do this so I can continue to know how much I need Him. Because I still can't eat before I preach. I'm still so aware of the fact that I need God. Otherwise, I'm going to stuff this up. And I never want to move away from that place. Never want to get to a place where I think I can do this. But when I think about the Lord and who He is, 
And he's the same God that saved me when I was three years old. And the same God filled me with the Holy Spirit when I was nine. And the same God that protected me from backsliding and kept me safe. The same God was with me today. The same God that rescued my family from the pits of despair and alcoholism and abuse. And put our feet upon a solid rock. The same God. Then I'm saying, bring it on, devil. Bring it on. Why? But because I'm greater, because God is great inside of me. And he has proven himself. So don't even think about starting to rebuild the walls unless you are remembering God. But from that place of remembering God, from that place of worshiping God like we did tonight, then God says, go out there. Join Prochorus, join Kipwek Kids, join the mission team. Do everything you need to do because there's something at stake. He says, fight for your brethren. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for them. We fight for them on our knees. We fight for them through our love and through our humility. But guys, the reality is this, that unless we plug the gap, unless we fill the gaps, we leave not just ourselves vulnerable, but those who come after us vulnerable as well. Unless we say yes to God to establishing a wall of purity and a wall of integrity and a wall of self-sacrificial service, we make it so much more difficult for other people to come in and to experience God. You are not just fighting for yourself. You are fighting for those who are going to come after you, physically as well as spiritually. As you guys are sitting here now, as you are worshiping God tonight, you know what you're doing? You are building a wall. You are building a culture in this congregation. You are establishing something that other people will walk into the service and they will say, man, there are people in here broken before God. There are people you're not afraid to be going down on their knees before him. If they can do it, I can do it as well. What are you doing? You're building a wall. You're building something that other people will be able to feel safe within. And I want to encourage, I feel in my heart for us as shofar men, guys, that God is calling us like never before to step up to the plate. It is calling us to look away from our own hurts and our own issues and what we are not. And we're not big enough or strong enough or wealthy enough or old enough or young enough. Whatever those mistakes might be, guys, I'm speaking to us as men. And we need to understand that there's a fight going on. There's a fight going on for the women and for the children in our nation. And that fight is one that leads to very real choices of life and death. And God gives us an opportunity here as believers, as men, women included, but I'm speaking to the men for a few minutes, to make a difference. We need to live in such a way that we know I'm living for something more than just my own comfort. You know, the crazy thing is, it won't happen five years from now when you have the wife. If you don't have it now, you're going to struggle when you do have the wife. It is something you have to inculcate in which you will have to develop even right now. The beautiful thing is it's never too late. It's never too late to start fighting for those who cannot fight for themselves. And that's why the issue of the poor and the issue of those who can't fight for themselves is so important. Um, Verse 15 says, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And it's our desire that, that you guys will know that God has a specific place for you. And that you will return to that work. Some of you have been faithful and you and you, you took a bit of a knock. And God is wanting to encourage you again. Return to your place. Right? Return to your place of praying for your brothers. Praying for your family. Serving those around you. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction. While the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And we heard it again tonight. 
the beautiful reality that those who go out on mission and those who stay behind are equally important. Don't switch off just because you can't go somewhere physically. Engage in the spirit. When there's an altar call that's being made, don't switch off because it's the responsibility of the altar call guy to get people to respond. Engage in the spirit. Pray. When you can't give something physically, pray a blessing upon the offering. But you can engage. You carry a spirit power inside of you that's so much more significant than just your physical contribution. And the devil will do everything within his power to get us as a, as a church family to be obsessed with what we see. To be obsessed with, with what we wear. To be obsessed with what we have and what we do not have. Because he would like nothing more for us to believe that the impact of the kingdom is based upon what's in your bank balance. It's based upon what kind of degree that you have. And those things can help. They can certainly help and they, we need to leverage them. But the impact is an impact based upon faith. Based upon faith, based upon a spiritual reality that God is wanting us to engage in. He has saved you and he has called you as a generation of young people to make a difference in this nation. And he has put you here for such a time as this. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. So the one hand they were building and the other hand they were standing in a place of readiness. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. You know, I'm often amazed how, how we can come to, come to church or to gatherings, and knowing we come to a, a gathering where the Lord is going to speak to us, with no inclination in our hearts sometimes to come prepared. There's nothing we're going to write on. There's no phone we're going to take notes on. And I know some of us are brilliant and we remember everything that everybody says. But I think there's something powerful in us showing and demonstrating, I'm ready to receive from you, God. I'm ready for you to speak to me. I know one word can change my life. One word from God can, can impact not just my life, but the life of generations after me. So I want to encourage you to consistently position yourself at a place of readiness. Shake off the slumber. Shake off the complacency. Shake off the, the, the victim mentality. Shake off the condemnation. All right, God has called us not just to live for ourselves. He's called us to find satisfaction in laying our lives down for other people. When I was just battling through that relationship that, that, that ended so abruptly with the, the death of my friend, you know, I was, I was, I was struggling through that and wrestling through that, and then I, I met a wonderful guy who ended up being my best man at my wedding and he had the girl he had the beautiful girl you know she was a dancer she was she was fantastic you know and then i'm like yes man this sucks you know he's got everything that i want you know I've, you know i'm just like i know it's ungodly i it was before i was a pastor okay so <laughs> don't hold it against me all right but i'm like god you're so unfair just like you know how long i'm gonna wait and, and then the lord just started to challenge me from Job's life, when he said, you know, when, when Job started, not the bit where Job felt bad about himself, but the bit towards the end, when Job prayed for his friends, God changed his lot. And, and, and I, I started then holding on to challenges that my brothers were going through. I said, Father, I'm trusting you for a breakthrough in my brother's relationship with his fiance, with his girlfriend, those standing in faith. For, for, for a baby girl or baby boy. Some of you guys who are single, you need to be praying for those who can't conceive, that God will bless them to fall pregnant. Some of you who are married need to pray for those who are still single, that God will bless them for a spouse. With a spouse, just take your attention, your focus off yourself a little bit and see what God can do as you yield 
to the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of walls which I believe, and in the next 15 minutes I'm going to try and wrap this up. There are a couple of walls which I believe God is wanting us to build and to rebuild at this time. The first one is the wall of love, and it comes from John 13, 34. We've made the theme of this year known for love. And uh, this is a well-known verse, and I want to read it for us, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And that's a fantastic commandment, and that, that's a wonderful commandment. And, and, and I think it would be one that we would be able to say, yes, yes, Jesus, until he gets to those five little words there, as I have loved you. Sucks. Why did that have to be in there? As I've loved you, Jesus, you're just raising the barn. That's next level. That is just like hitting it out of the park. I think someone from the word go, God wants us to understand there's, there's nothing inside of you that will be able to do this. You better, if you still think I can love people, you probably haven't been around church long enough. <laughs> if you think that, that it's just your, your natural personality that can do this, then you probably haven't gotten close enough to someone. If we are going to build the walls of love around us, and I know there's something so beautiful in this congregation already, but I believe God is wanting us to raise the wall even higher. I believe that there are other people that need to be drawn into this beautiful family. And we need to understand that God is, you know, and we, we're beginning to, to become more integrated, cultural, culturally wise. But I believe that God is going to add even more diversity, people coming from different backgrounds and different experiences, and they're going to be completely different to us. And we will need to have a supernatural outpouring of His love in our hearts. And I want to encourage you that you would, would, would camp out around how much God loves you. Because He's not asking us to, to try and work up some sort of resilience to love people. I'm going to be loving, 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 I'm going to be loving. Taxi swirls in front of you, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be loving. No. He's wanting you simply to reflect on how much He loves you. Receive the word God gave you this evening. He loves you and that He wants you and you are precious to Him. And as you, as you meditate upon how much He loves you, how much He has forgiven you, try holding a grudge then. Try being unforgiving then after realizing how much and how deeply God loves you. I want to encourage some of us, we're sitting with deep hurts. The people have, have hurt us so much and have betrayed our trust. Go back to how much God loves you. Just allow that revelation to wash over you. Meditate upon that. And out of that, I can guarantee you the love of God will compel you to do what you need to do. To forgive who you need to forgive. And this is Jesus' vision for us. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, he says, there's going to be this big wall that just blazes out. They are my disciples. That's evangelism 101. And that's the difficult bit, isn't it? Because the, the going bit on a mission trip, and it's important. I went on mission trips and I'm still going. And I love it. I love to be there. And I love to see somebody's life change as I minister to them. But you know, that's often the easy bit. The difficult bit is living with people. And loving people in such a way that those on the outside can say, wow, they have been with Christ. Not wow, they've got an amazing church service, but wow, they've been with Christ. Not wow, they've got an amazing prochorus or amazing Keep the Kids program, but wow, they've been with Christ. They really love one another. And I believe that the Lord is saying to us that He's wanting to usher us into 
a focus on rebuilding that wall. Saying, God, we want to build the wall of love. Show me, just one brick at a time, show me how I can love someone. Just one brick at a time. Show me where the gap is in my life. Because you know the strength of the big wall depends on the individual bricks. Don't try and fix somebody else's wall. <laughs> like sometimes you go to a marriage course, you know, you like you sit there in the garden and you think, yes, like my buddy should have been here. You know, this is exactly for him. If only he could hear this, it would change his life. No, 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 no. Focus on what the Lord is saying to you. All right? As we are obedient, each one of us, to the one thing God is saying to us, we're strengthening the bigger wall. The second wall, I believe, is the wall of compassion. It's not this the fast that I've chosen to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. So not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your, then your light shall break like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard and then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the, of the finger and the speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as a noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy hill, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. There are so many beautiful promises in there that very often we pull out of a version Bible reading thingy or from a little card. Then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. Your light shall spring forth speedily. Wonderful promises, but you know they're all conditional promises. If you look after the poor and the needy, then your light will spring forth suddenly. Then stuff will happen. Then he will call and the Lord will answer. Some of us maybe need to consider that it might not be the devil withholding answers from us, but might be God frustrating us because our hearts have drifted from his priorities. And I want to encourage you to continue to speak to God about, God, what difference can I make? What difference can I make? with the poor, with the broken all around us. You know, the beauty of a place like Stellenbosch is that it is such an encouraging place to be in. You know, just driving through this town, there are tons of people always exercising and running and cycling. I think, you know, it, it makes it easier to be fit in this place. It can be intimidating maybe at the same time, but I think it, it has its advantages. Well, it's a beautiful place. All these mountains and the beautiful buildings and the old historical buildings, it's so beautiful and it is so a bubble as well. Because that is not how the rest of our country looks. What we are experiencing here, where we live, and even this, it's not the reality for most people out there. And you've got to prepare yourself, otherwise the big world out there is going to be a rude awakening. By all means, now focus on the relationships. Focus on the love of God. Drink deeply, but understand you are drinking deeply to give. And don't ignore the needs and the plights of those around you. There's something that the Lord has been speaking to me about, and many of you won't have anything to do with it without or besides tonight praying into it. 
some of you, the Lord will stir your heart and you'll become a little bit more involved. But my wife started um, just praying and thinking through the realities of human trafficking in our nation. And initially I was like, yeah, babes, that's a good idea. And I, and, and I back you. You know, I said all the right things. But you know, my heart wasn't really in it. I backed her and I prayed for her and it's not as if, as if I was disinterested. But there are more human slaves in the world today than ever before. Just think about that. More slaves today than ever lived before on the history of the planet. And I had a sneaky suspicion that if I were to allow myself to be, to, 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 to be exposed, I would have a problem. And so I allowed myself to be exposed and the Lord started speaking to me. And, and I believe for us as a shofar family, and so I'm going to say this guys prophetically for us as men, we're going into a time where the, where the avalanche of promiscuity and things being allowed in the media is coming in like a flood wave. It's coming in like a flood wave and it's coming for our kids, it's coming for our marriages. And men, we need to make purity and holiness a top priority. A top priority. The government is not going to do it for us. Community is not going to do it for us. We need to do it. So I want to encourage some of you guys, brilliant software on your phone. Make sure you have, if you've got a cell phone, make sure you've got some software on the thing that can protect you. All right. Myself and my accountability partner, we're using something called Covenant Eyes. All right. It's a wonderful thing. It tracks everything that you do. Everything. How much you spend time on Facebook and YouTube videos. And you know what? It's wonderful. We pray for each other. We can even see when we're spending too much time on this thing. Why? Because I need it. This is like a nuclear bomb in your pocket. Guys, a nuclear bomb in your pocket that has all the power to destroy your entire family. Don't mess with it. Okay? Don't mess with it. Take it seriously. Purity before the Lord is one of the most precious commodities. One of the best gifts we can give our wives and our children. And the Lord can, if you've made a mistake, the Lord can restore it just like that. But then you've got to understand, I've got to fight for it. Nobody else is going to do it for me unless I fight for it. And in that light, I believe God has called us as men to fight for the women and to fight for the children. It starts with our own hearts, but then starts with us doing something practically. And maybe just for tonight, just for tonight, exposing ourselves to the reality of what goes out there. So I'm going to show you a short video clip. It's quite intense, and I'm going to pray for us. It's a testimony of a lady who was a street um, child. She grew up in the street because her folks rejected her. And then she was invited by a friend up to Johannesburg who promised her that she would help her with her studies. And this is where we pick up the story. Um, Christoph, if you can play the testimony for us. Being taped up and you're naked in a dark room and your hands cuffed, it was... You know, you don't know who comes in and who goes out. And I was really thinking that the person I came to see was a friend and it wasn't. It was just a lie. And, and just being two weeks, no food, no nothing. And you just smell like semen. And after that two weeks, it was the anger of life, that you don't like life at all. And it was straight into drugs and prostitution from club to club in Johannesburg. It was a very empty room. And I was like, wow, your room is empty. And she's like, oh, don't worry, 
you know, as we go through the year, we're going to start buying stuff and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, she walked out the room, and that was the last time I saw her. And then I think first three guys walked in, which was Zimbabweans. And then I was confused, and they just said, well, didn't your friend help? And I think that's where my heart really reached my throat. And they did everything. And then they were the first. And after they did that, they tied me up. And it went on for at least, I think, 10 to 11 days. There were times there's this technique that I did of holding my breath and just trying to get myself out of conscious and not breathe. And that would happen. And um, I would not um, breathe at all. And I would just close my eyes. And as the choking and the one guy does what he does on the other side of your body and the other guy does what I want, then my mind would just switch off and that would be it. After that two weeks, just um, taking a bath was a problem. I remember I was in whatever shower, which was a public shower that was in Park Station. And smelling like semen went on for months because that's what I was soaked in for two weeks. If you're trafficked, that's what I learned on that particular time. There has to be another new girl. And I was kicked out of the house because there was another new girl. And I had to find my own way. And, um, I went straight to Park Station. I had to find a guy, truck driver, to give me my first um, prostitution money. Had sex with him so I can buy clothes and dress myself up. And then he went to the streets and whatever prostitution I did on Johannesburg Street was always for money and drugs. There was nothing of money to get out because there was too much anger going on. Your day doesn't look like night. Your night doesn't look like day because you just have reflections on what's happened with you. So with my friend, it's somebody that I knew, but it wasn't somebody that I know that could traffic me because the way she put it, it was a girl. She was a student and, you know, she was at UJ and all of that, and I didn't know that she had other plans of making money for me because obviously when it turned out, it's like the money she made of me was for her to continue to study. I'm at the incredible place now. I'm at a beautiful NGO working at Embrace Dignity and they just like, whatever you want to do with your life, we're here to help you. And I've met incredible people that believe that I am a different person instead of the people that I met when I was going through the process of change. So I'm at an amazing place and I'm looking forward actually to be on the front line and say no to this thing of human trafficking and prostitution and rape. It's important for me to speak about it because I understand a woman or a young girl or a teenager being raped at that particular time, what happens to her. Um, my first time I knew that my everything was taken away me not even knowing if I'm a woman or a girl or a teenager or my dreams, everything. It was just completely black. And it's so important that I have to speak out in every way that I can because there's, it's still happening. Every 
30 seconds, somebody, a child that's under five or six is getting raped. Say to the parents, look at your daughters, talk to them, tell them how beautiful they are because they're going to try to look at from somebody that's going to take advantage of them. Quite, um, quite hectic. And after I watched that, I, um, I said, okay. This thing my wife is organizing at um, the Waken Women's Ministry. Um, they're getting a whole bunch of people together on Saturday morning and they're coming to just talk about a few aspects of, of trafficking and how the church can help. And I said, no, 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 no. I now realize this cannot be a women's ministry thing. Guys, it's our responsibility. It's meant to protect the women in our nation. And I believe spiritually, we've got to stand up. Spiritually, we've got to stand up. I believe that as Griselda had an encounter with the love of Jesus, people loved her, drew her into a family. And she's the beautiful woman she is now. And later on in the year, she'll come to give a testimony, hopefully here as well. Somebody had to engage with her. Somebody had to look beyond the prostitution. Somebody had to allow their hearts to be touched. And that's all that I'm hoping for tonight. I'm not wanting you to make promises to God. I'm not wanting you to make commitments to God. I'm simply wanting you to give God carte blanche with your heart. Say to him, Lord, wherever you want to use me, use me. However, whenever. Can we stand? I want to pray for you. God calls us to build the wall of love, to build the wall of compassion. And he calls us to build the wall of intercession. Ezekiel says that he looked for a man who stand in the gap. And he couldn't find anyone, Ezekiel 22. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I said, God, I don't want that to be the case. I want to be that man. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how, but I want to be that man. I want to make a difference. And the Lord asked me, are you prepared to have your heart broken? I said, God, I don't know if I can take it. He says, I'll take care of that. Are you prepared to have your heart broken? So Nehemiah's call goes out to us. I don't want you to take this flippantly. Guys, and if you don't want to do it, please don't feel under compulsion to do it. But I do feel that the Lord would be asking us as men, are we prepared to fight? For our moms, for our, our sisters, the women around us. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.